iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo, technology, what is it all about? I am super confident. You know, as I've told others, I was in Antarctica last year on uh, Mount Vincent. If I had appendicitis there, I think that is far more of a dangerous set of circumstances than what we'll be encountering up in, uh, in space. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, back for another week, coming to you live from my living room. I hope you're doing well this week. I know we're only a few weeks into 2021, but I feel like we've had enough tech news for the year. Between the deplatforming of Trump, the GameStop episode, which of course is now unraveling uh, very painfully for a lot of Redditors, I'm probably going to be writing about that again this week. Got news that Apple is going to start to make cars in the next couple of years, next few years. And then of course you have Jeff Bezos stepping down from Amazon, so my fingers tired my friends i've been writing a lot but something that is perhaps lost in the shuffle of all of this is what has been happening in space outer space you're probably like uh, what but of course spacex launched another prototype of its new giant starship rocket last week and of course it crashed and that makes a very cool video but those kind of things are in a way expected at this stage of development. But they also announced that they're going to have the first manned mission to space that will be all civilians, so no professional astronauts. I just want to put a pin on that for a second. And then in addition to that, you have Virgin Galactic, and they're doing one of their last test flights the next week, 10 days or so. And if all goes well, and it's a big if, that could lead to very soon sending up Sir Richard Branson what would be its first commercial space tourism flight in the next few months. Point is that the space industry, which has been kind of just inching along and developing in the background, we're getting to a point where it could become a thing, where space tourism actually becomes a thing. Moon missions become a thing. Internet beaming satellites are becoming a thing. This whole industry is on the cusp of becoming an industry because... Companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin from Jeff Bezos and Virgin Galactic, they've brought down launch costs so dramatically that you can actually start to do stuff in space you couldn't before. So in that context, I thought it would be fun to have on the show this week, Jared Isaacman, who is the founder of Shift4 Payments, and he is also the guy who will be leading this first SpaceX mission to space later this year. And they announced that this week. And so I just got in touch and talked to his people who carved out, you know, 40 minutes so we could get on the phone. And I wanted to talk to him about kind of 
why he is doing this, and also just to tell his backstory, which is really interesting. So, you know, he's a self-made billionaire. He started his company when he was 16 in his parents' basement, took it public last year, and obviously that made him very wealthy, and now he's planning to do this flight, which he hopes will raise $200 million for the St. Jude's Children's Hospital, where they treat kids with cancer. And he's writing a check for $100 million, personally. So he's covering at least half of that goal. And so just all of that together, you got this tech founder chartering a, uh, <laughs> the first civilian flight to space, uh, raising money for cancer. There's lots of interesting stuff going on here. So I think we'll be hearing more about Jared Isaacman going forward. He is only 37. So I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. Yeah, so without further ado, I will hand it over now to Jared Isaacman, the founder of Shift4 Payments and the future commander of SpaceX's first civilian trip to outer space. Enjoy. So can we just talk about what was announced this week and why why you're doing it? Yeah, so um, yesterday we announced Inspiration4, which is the world's first all-civilian mission to space, which is you know a step in a direction where everybody, everyday people can go and journey among the stars. And it's obviously... Um, pretty significant. And, uh, you know, with anything that I think comes with this degree of significance, you have to be incredibly thoughtful about all the details that go into it. And in this case, it's very much about the crew selection and uh, how they will represent the Inspiration4 mission, as well as the organization that stands to benefit, which will be St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And as you're probably aware, we kicked off what I think will be, uh, what I know will be the largest fundraising and awareness campaign in their 59-year history. It's a, a space lottery. Well, I think what it's about is just, you know, opening up space to the public. That's certainly Elon and the SpaceX team's ambitions. Uh, I've drank the Kool-Aid. I am all in. I, I think we all believe in a world where, you know, everyday people can be journeying among the stars. You know, that kind of Star Trek, Star Wars world that we all, you know, get excited about when you watch it. And um, there's going to be families bouncing around on the moon and Mars someday. And and maybe that's 50 or 100 years out. But uh you know, we are moving in that direction and, and we're going to try and do some good things along the way. And I think that's what uh, bringing St. Jude Children's Research Hospital into this mission is all about. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to raise money for causes. What made you think, you know what, I actually want to basically charter a flight to space in which there are no other kind of professionals on it and do it this way? Like, why this of all the things? I mean, because clearly you have some uh, affinity for, for space in particular. Yeah. So uh, throughout my career, I've tried to seek out some really interesting challenges in life, you know, whether that was starting a company when I was 16 in my parents' basement or, you know, flying records around the world or flying in air shows. But, you know, as I kind of undertake these challenges, I try and make it about something bigger than the mission in itself. I try and always couple these kind of endeavors with a great charitable cause. So I don't think Inspiration4 is any different in that regard, especially with the relationship to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and what we hope to raise. Space is very interesting. You know, it's only been two missions to leave U.S. soil in the last 10 years since the space shuttle is retired, two up and, and really one down. So I think this has essentially become, you know, an amazing platform to really energize the world as to what is possible, both up in uh, space among the stars and what can be accomplished here down on Earth. Are you scared? Because obviously everybody, there's plenty, you go on YouTube and type in rocket explosion. 
and there's lots and lots of videos, including SpaceX videos. Yeah, sure. And but there's also an awful lot of successful missions that, uh, For that sure. don't attract For necessarily sure. the same amount of interest. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, like I am immensely confident in the technology that Elon and the team here at SpaceX have pioneered. I mean, think about it. These guys, they are landing rockets on ships in the middle of the ocean. Nobody's done that. No one thought that was possible. And they're 10 years yeah. ahead of anyone else coming close to doing it. They also had to be certified by NASA, right? NASA is the authority that that human rates um, spacecraft. And they're drawing on 60 years of experience through, you know, Mercury and Gemini and Apollo and shuttle to ultimately say that Falcon and the Dragon spacecraft is safe for flight. So I am super confident, you know, as I've told others, I was in Antarctica last year on uh, Mount Vincent. If I had appendicitis there, I think that is far more of a dangerous set of circumstances than what we'll be encountering <laughs> up in, uh, in space. So there's lots more to cover about space, but I want to go back to when you were 16, which is what, 1999? So can we go back to 1999? So what was the company you started? Where did you grow up? How did we get here? Right. So uh, there's a uh, pretty big age gap between uh, myself and my older brothers and sisters. So when I was in middle school. How many are you? Are you one of how many? Oh, so I have uh, two brothers and a sister. Oh, so I'm, I'm also one of four and have two brothers and a sister. But I'm number two out of four. So I'm last in line. Right. And, uh, you know, like when I'm in middle school, they're out, you know, having careers and such. And um, I just found that high school, there was just more interesting things I could be doing, you know, than having to ask permission to leave class to go use the restroom or something. And so I think that uh, I owe a lot to my uh, older siblings for, um, you know, motivating me to want to go out and uh, maybe break the mold a little bit and try something different. And I had exposure to the payments industry in 1999. I saw there was a lot of opportunity, a lot of room for improvement. And uh, so I started business in my parents' basement. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so you had exposure as a, what, 15-year-old, a 16-year-old to the payments industry? I did, yes. So how, how did that come about? Okay, so uh, interesting story. I was working at um, CompUSA, which is a computer store. And um, I also had a side business, which was uh, my own little IT company, right? And what I did is uh, I would basically poach customers at the store and turn it into a lead for my business. So somebody comes in and is like, oh, I got all these problems with my business. And what happened was, uh, you know, a company came in that was in the credit card industry and they had like viruses going on in their office. And so I was like, well, you can buy this, but, you know, I, I probably could help you in after hours. So I, I wound up going and working there, helped some of their, you know, solve some of their technology issues. And then they were talking about this thing of like e-commerce because that was relatively new at the time. That was uh, when e-commerce was like kind of this really bizarre, weird thing that people were scared of. Yeah, they were scared of it in the payments industry. They were like, this is no good. We should just buy things in stores. But, it, you know, it gave me um, an opportunity to, to help them out a little bit and exposure to the payments industry. And I said, you know, there's probably some things we could do better. And that's what led to founding Shift4 21 years ago. But it was called something else back then, right? Yes. Uh, so we began as United Bank Card. I picked the name because it sounded like like an institution that had been around. For it like, does. It sounds very official. Yeah. It, it, and, and when you're 16, you need all the help you can get to create like an established <laughs> credibility, right? So I picked a name that sounded like you know, really old and established. But, you know, now in today's world, like, uh, I mean, that's like the last thing you want associated with. No, you business. want a name that has very few vowels. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you finish high school? 
So I took my parents wouldn't let me uh, start the business without at least getting um, a diploma. So I took my GED. Um, that was one of the requirements for my parents, and I got that done. And and even later in life, I did get my college degree. You know, so uh, I don't shun at all the establishment. I, I think it sets you up for success. And I wanted to kind of go through those motions when when time permitted. So you you start this business out of your parents' basement, and then you know I don't know five years later, what is it? You know, because I think it was last this past summer, Shift Four went public. Is that right? Yeah, it, things actually happened really fast. You know, at the time, the opportunity I saw was like the payments industry was just like you know a, a necessary evil. Like what it's all about yeah. is just getting people to have credit cards in their wallet and spend beyond their means, and everything else will take care of itself. It didn't have to be you know efficient at all. In fact, if you were a pizza joint that wanted to take credit cards. It was like getting a commercial mortgage. It was total hell. Uh, so we tried to improve upon that a lot, create a lot of operational efficiencies, and then just the demand followed. You know, we were on a pretty good rocket ship trajectory by 2003. You know, two three years after the business started, um, you know, we were EBITDA positive and on our way. Were you making like point of sale like terminals basically? So in our early days, right up until about 2005, we were kind of just a general practitioner of payments. Like it didn't matter if you wanted to sell things on the internet or you were a gas station right. or a supermarket, we could just do it all. But we started by 2005 to gravitate towards what's now called integrated payments, where we try and like assemble multiple links in the payments value chain to deliver a good experience. So software plus hardware, marry it all together, you know, kind of like an iPhone before, you know, they figured out how to cram a camera and MP3 player into a single yeah. device. And now we're very much, I mean, 99% of our transactions that we process originate through software. And so you're building this and then you start a different company. Yeah. So, I mean, the aviation connection goes back to, geez, 2004. So not that long after, uh, you know, we started Shift 4, where I felt like I was kind of burning myself out in the basement. It was just this 24-hour endless cycle. And I was like, I need some sort of an escape. I've always been an aviation enthusiast, always had a passion for aviation. So I started flying and then like it just became work and flying. And I, and I went from, you know, propeller aircraft to, you know, jet engine aircraft to ex-military aircraft to flying air shows and world record flights. And that ultimately, you know, gave birth to a whole other commercial business that we started, which, um, which was called Draken International, became the world's largest private air force. We had over 100 fighter jets and uh, was supporting the U.S. Department of Defense and our allies, which was a pretty cool industry. It still is. So I'm very interested in this because not least because my, my dad was in the Navy and he's a pilot mm -hmm. and my brother-in-law flew Hornets for 20 years and just retired. Uh -huh. From the Navy. So I have some familiarity. And one thing I know is that a civilian flying these planes is not a thing that happens generally. No, that's right. I'm very fortunate. In fact, every stage of my flying career, I, I've been really lucky to get to fly some incredible aircraft. I mean, I, I flew air shows for years, you know, with former Thunderbirds, former Top Gun graduates. Um, so I've been very lucky to get exposure to some How? Of them. <laughs> How? Well, I, I, you know, I started the air show team and brought the aircraft to the equation. So it got me at least a seat at the table, but I still had to prove myself. You can't fly 18 inches apart from other, uh, other aircraft unless you can hack it. So, but yeah, I've been very lucky to fly with really some of the best pilots in the world. I've learned an awful lot for them and, and obviously still lucky today to go and command inspiration for the first civilian mission to space. And on that, uh, on Dragon and creating like the world's largest private Air Force. Because what that what that company is, from what I've read, is basically you are like a contractor to the armed forces and to help pilots train. 
correct? Yeah, you know, it's actually there's some parallels to even what SpaceX is doing, right? It's it's yeah. on a very small scale, right? But like commercial industry can sometimes be a little bit more innovative and cost effective than the way governments operate. I know that's, you know, probably hard for a lot of people to believe, but look at what Elon and SpaceX have done in 20 years to totally revolutionize commercial space industry. Well, it turns out that in the fighter jet world, operating, you know, $100,000 an hour F-22s and having them play the bad guy uh, is not the most optimal use of the platform or the pilot's time. It actually is a pretty costly, you know, sparring partner, right? So we were able to go and procure ex-military aircraft and modernize them from all over the world and expose American and other allied fighter pilots to these unusual platforms and really challenge them and to be a good sparring partner at like one-fifth the cost. And it went from a non-existent industry to a $6 billion industry in, you know, less than a decade. And again, it's really small comparison, but, I, you know, I feel like Elon and the SpaceX team had to overcome some other institutional challenges before they could start landing rockets on ships. So you went around the world, like, buying former, like, Russian MiGs and stuff like this? Something like that. We, we had a nice array of uh, diverse fighter aircraft that we, uh, we brought to the fight here. Do you have a story about going some far-flung place and buying a former aircraft? Yes. That is kind of... <laughs> I have a lot of stories. I've been to a lot of interesting... What's the, what's the, what's the, yeah, what's the best one? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I was definitely, and I, I got to say for the sake of any shareholders that might be listening, this was a long, long time ago. I'm, I'm, this I'm, is a long time I'm ago. I'm not yes, the CEO yes. uh, of Draken anymore, and I'm not out, you know, buying, uh, you know, used fighter aircraft for the military anymore. But there was definitely a time when I was in a Middle Eastern country and, um, you know, we were uh, being driven out into the desert to look at, you know, what we hope to be with some aircraft, right? I mean, but uh, there was definitely a couple moments there where myself and some of the other members of the team were wondering if we were going to be uh, holding up a newspaper for a picture uh, at some point. <laughs> um, but, you know, the experience was awesome. I've certainly learned an awful lot. I mean, negotiating amongst companies and business owners is one thing. Negotiating with governments and in different parts of the world you know, it was a whole nother set of experiences that I've um, I've been fortunate to benefit from. Oh, sorry. So just to f cover off Draken, you sold that. I did. So I, I still have, um, you know, a little bit of an interest in the business, but knowing that Shift 4 was going to go public, you know, it was important to kind of um, narrow some of those or eliminate some of those outside interests and, and focus on what's very important to me, which is the company started 21 years ago. So right. uh, it's in great hands now. Blackstone is an awesome organization, tons of resources, I have no doubt they're going to continue to grow the business, make it super special. When did they buy it and for how much? Uh, so I don't think we ever uh, disclosed the purchase price, but uh, they purchased it in April of 2019. Right. And then you take the company public last year. And according to Forbes, you are now a billionaire. Congratulations. So what are you hoping now? So getting back to space, on the actual nitty gritty of that flight, what is involved? Because if you're not, if you have no kind of quote unquote professionals, you know, is there flying involved? Or are you literally just like floating around for a couple of days and then you just come back down and there's nothing to do or what, what's happening? Yeah. So, um, you know, the NASA and the FAA regulations refer to us as commercial astronauts and they, they do so for a reason because we are going to be uh, professionally trained long before we ever strap into the Dragon spacecraft. We have like an extensive training curriculum planned. I mean, we got to get through some of the milestones ahead, which is we have a huge fundraising campaign going on for St. Jude. We've got a cruise selection process. But, you know, 30 days from now, Inspiration Force team is assembled. 
we're rolling right into training. And that training is not how to buckle your seatbelt. You know, it is drawn on from all of the NASA curriculum. Of course, we're not going to station. So that, you know, cuts things down a little bit. We're not doing EBAs or spacewalks. So that cuts down the training curriculum a little bit. But, you know, we're going to need a lot of the time in the months ahead to plan for everything that, you know, is supposed to go right and any eventualities um, when things go wrong. This is still, you know, going to space. This is orbital space. You know, in the 10 years since the space shuttles retired, we put two missions up, one down. Uh, so we're still very early in the game and, and we got to nail this. We got to get it right, because if we do get it wrong, it's going to slip the whole timeline on making space accessible for everyone else. So, uh, yeah, I can assure you, everybody is going to be professionally trained, super prepared long before we get in that rocket. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So can you talk about the fundraising aspect of it? So you're going to be in one seat. Mm -hmm. There's going to be two, is it two people from St. Jude's uh, Hospital? That's right. I mean, just, so we're essentially making four, um, you know, occupants of the Dragon spacecraft. I'll be commanding the mission. We're going to make two available to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. One uh, has already been selected. It's a frontline healthcare worker who works at St. Jude. Uh, She represents the spirit of hope. She happens to be a, a former cancer survivor uh, as a child, was treated at St. Jude, chose to come back and get in the fight again, helping other kids uh, defeat, you know, this horrible uh, heart-wrenching disease. The other seat, you know, so this would be called the third crew member seat that's being made available to St. Jude, is part of this, in this national fundraising effort, right? So we kicked that off yesterday, and we're inviting people to go to the Inspiration4 website, make a donation to St. Jude, and at the end of the month, uh, at random, we're going to select a winner and that crew member will represent the spirit of generosity. And the fourth and final crew member is being selected in conjunction with my company, Shift4 Payments, and our Shift4 Shop e-commerce platform, where we're inviting business owners and those who are thinking about starting a business to create a website on the Shift4 Shop platform and tell the world about how their business is going to make a difference and why they should be elevated to the stars. And through an independent judging competition at the end of the month, we will have our fourth and final crew member who will represent the spirit of prosperity. So people can go on the website, make a donation to St. Jude's, and one of them will get selected. That's right. What if they're 300 pounds? And you know what I mean? Because to your point, like not anybody can just go up into space. And if there's you know months of training involved, this is not something for everybody. Yeah, you know, it's not something for everybody yet. And, and we're going to get there, right? But this is a first step in that direction. So you can go on the inspiration4.com website. You can see there's terms and conditions. You know, you, you have to be under a certain height, you know, under a certain weight. 
you have to be in reasonably good health. There is a health screening process, a mental wellness. Mm. There's a background check. You can't be an axe murderer, you know. But um, I, I think the idea is if, if somebody unfortunately is selected and, you know, maybe they have a health condition they weren't aware of, we are building in a transferability element into this. So, you know, maybe somebody's grandfather, you know, wins the donation competition. Well, maybe they transfer it to their granddaughter or maybe maybe it's their daughter or their son. Right. And we're going to work with that person on that. So what we're not going to do is call somebody up and say, congratulations, you're going to space. And then they say, hey, I, I got a heart condition. It's like, well, tough luck and hang up the phone. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to work with them and find a way to, to get somebody who represents that family up into orbit. And you're also doing a, um, a Super Bowl commercial. That's right. Uh, you know, the stars have aligned with Inspiration4 on... Uh, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, on a number of great ways, right? And uh, given the timing of announcing this mission Feb 1st and having to have all the crew members selected by March 1st and wanting to energize the public and inspire them as to what's possible up in space and down here on Earth, what better stage to utilize uh, than the Super Bowl? So we're going to invite everybody, you know, come on out and go to the Inspiration4 website, make a good donation, start a business idea, and maybe have a chance to, to join us in space on Inspiration4. Why, it's, this question will sound a bit weird, but why St. Jude's and not like why fund children's cancer research? That's obvious, but there's a lot of, there's a whole bunch of causes. Is there something in particular about this for you, for you personally that you're like, I really want to support them? Hey, I, I think it's a great question because there are a ton of worthwhile charitable organizations, but you know, my company has like a 20 year history with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and, and other organizations that are in the fight over similar causes. But I think it's hard to find one that's got a more worthwhile purpose than what St. Jude's aims to uh, to accomplish. And and look, I you know I've been really fortunate in life. I've um, been able to experience a lot of great things. I started a company when I was 16. I've gone on these great adventures, and you know I've been really lucky. And there's a lot of families and children that are not lucky, and they got dealt a really really lousy hand in life. And I feel yeah. like, you know, we can't go on and, you know, enjoy what life has to offer without trying to do as much good as we can along the way. St. Jude's is who we're going to focus on right now. Right. How much do you think you'll be able to raise or do you have a kind of a number in mind? Oh, well, we do. I mean, at the time of the announcement, we said um, we hope to raise over $200 million. There's no question this is the biggest fundraising initiative in their 59-year history. I've committed to writing the first $100 million check. but You, you personally? That's right. Wow. Um, but Elon came out yesterday at the announcement and said, Hey, I'm in too, you know, I'll write a check. So I I'm pretty confident we're going to blow out that $200 million number before the end of the month. Wow. Is it weird, um, having just enough money to casually write a hundred million dollar check and to charter a rocket to space? <laughs> well, I think that there's, um, certainly a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, business leaders with means that have been trying to do a lot of good, especially over the last year. I mean, if you, you think about what some of the, you know, tech leadership has done in terms of funding, vaccine development, manufacturing, like, look, you don't get to this situation in life unless the ball's bounced your way a couple times, right? And I think you have an obligation to do, you know, some real good with it investing in this mission is going to take us a little bit closer to a world where, again, everyone can go and explore among the stars, which I think is a more interesting world. But you have to do as much good as you can along the way. It has to be bigger than what just the mission in itself aims to accomplish. And that's where St. Jude comes in. And if we're going to set out with the $200 million fundraising goal, I, I better be prepared to step in and, and, and make a contribution to get it in the right direction. Just for scale, in terms of St. Jude, because we have a lot of overseas listeners, so for those who don't know, it's a very, very famous children's hospital 
that treats children with cancer. But for context sake, that 200 million, how does that compare, I don't know, to like their annual budget or their research budget, you know, talking about how this is the biggest campaign in their in their history. But can you put that in perspective in terms of numbers? Well, uh, you know, I'd actually really want to defer to St. Jude um, because I think they're in the, the best position to speak to their budget and the amount of good this will accomplish. But what I can tell you is um, just the $100 million donation I'm making is the single single largest individual donation in the history. And they're not a small. No, no. They're, it's, a, it's a big operation. Yeah. And on the actual flight again, you are going to be the, was it the chief of the mission or the, what is the, what is the term? I'm the commander of the mission. The, the commander. So what does that mean? Well, it means I'm responsible for the mission, right? So there's an awful lot that goes into this. You know, there's a lot of training and preparation that's going to go ahead in the months ahead. So I have to ensure that the crew is properly trained, able to perform their responsibilities. Everybody's got roles to play in this. They have to be able to help themselves in, you know, the event, some of the contingency plans that go with any you know, space mission comes into play. They've got to represent the mission very well and what we hope to accomplish, right? And then I have to ensure safe execution of the mission plan while we're in orbit. And and this is a huge responsibility, right? Because um, we all know what we're working towards here. Everybody's, you know, heard Elon with uh, his ambitions to to get to the moon and Mars and beyond and make humankind a multi-planetary species. I'm a true believer in that. I'm, I'm all in. I think it's essential. But if, if we get this first mission wrong, all it's going to do is slip the timeline to the right for everyone else to follow. So that's probably the biggest responsibility for the mission commander. But just in terms of like the blocking and tackling of being up in space for whatever it is going to be, three or four days, you're not flying the capsule. I mean, obviously you're in orbit, but I mean, do you actually have to control it or just make sure nothing is going wrong or, you know, and then reentry, is that effectively controlled from the ground? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think an interesting way to look at it is I, I have uh, accumulated over, you know, 6,000 hours of jet time in you know, ex-military aircraft, all sorts of uh, airplanes, experimental aircraft. And, you know, most of my training is for, you know, six hours of it, right? The circumstances that go wrong or that are unexpected. I mean, look, even you get into a 747, I can tell you probably about 99% of that flight's on autopilot. And if everything goes right, that's exactly how it's going to be on Dragon, but in the event there are some contingencies or something unexpected, abnormal procedures, you know, we're all going to be thoroughly trained on how to manually operate uh, Dragon and if necessary, you know, bring her home under less than ideal circumstances. Yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is because we did a whole thing on a sister podcast about Virgin Galactic and what they're trying to do, et cetera. And they have, that's a space plane, it's different. And they have trained people in control of that. But when we're talking about this between what SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, this whole new era of space tourism. I'm just trying to understand this being the first one that basically has no kind of astronauts or professionals on it. Is it basically because you already have these 6,000 hours flying planes all over the world and that allows this to happen? In other words, is this a repeatable thing? as far as you understand? Well, it's going to go in phases, right? So, you know, I don't want to speak for the SpaceX team here, but I think that they have a lot of comfort in this first mission, knowing my background and experience and and what I can contribute to this mission to de-risk, you know, a lot of the things that can go wrong. 
at some point it will be, you know, just for completely everyday people that may have no background on, on aviation or aerospace. Um, but, but we have to start somewhere. So in that respect, that is the contribution I'm making to it. And I, I also want to say, like, every mission to space, um, you know, is an extraordinary one and kind of advances the overall cause. But there, there is a huge difference, right, between, you know, suborbital, which is, you know, essentially like, a, you know, a giant parabolic arc before, versus, you know, what, what they're doing here at SpaceX and sending a, a spacecraft at 17,500 miles an hour on the Earth. It's a whole different thing to train for. And so if, say, SpaceX is wildly successful over this next 10, 15 years. And we've done a lot around kind of colonizing the moon, et cetera. Would you want to actually be one of those people who is a colonizer, an outer space colonizer? Would you want to live on the moon? Well, I'm pretty focused on uh, the mission in front of us right now. And there's a lot of big milestones we need to get through. And, And frankly, like we need to succeed in this mission to ensure the rest of them can go on, including some of the colonization ambitions that they have here at SpaceX and that I'm a true believer on. But, uh, you know, we'll take it one mission at a time, and then uh, we'll look to what, what comes next. And you mentioned earlier, I'd be interested to get your take back here on Earth about, you know, there's people that are more fortunate, less fortunate, et cetera. You, your company processes payments mainly for what I understand, restaurants, hotels, et cetera. How does the world look to you right now amid COVID? Because I imagine you have kind of a, a unique perspective on just what is happening out in the world and how dire or not so dire it is. It feels pretty dire, but... I don't know. What what are you seeing? I think, yeah, first of all, you're totally correct. Uh, shift for payments. I mean, we have over 200,000 customers, you know, in better times, you know, before the pandemic, we processed over 200 billion a year in payments. About one third of all the restaurants and hotels in the United States use some form of shift for payment technology. And I can tell you, I don't, we don't have a single customer that's at 100%. You know, every one of them has been set back, right? And you know, some in certain markets have fared better than others. And then there's some in major urban areas that are like, you know, completely shut down. But I have to tell you, I'm like, I'm completely impressed, you know, with how these business owners have persevered and, you know, really overcome under difficult circumstances, right? I mean, whether it was like implementing online ordering or contactless payments or QR codes, I mean, we hadn't seen that ever in the United States. And that's, you know, super prevalent now. They did everything they could to fight through this. And I guess, the nice thing is we're getting closer to the end. We're certainly closer to the end of this thing than we are at the beginning. And I'm pretty confident that, you know, once more of those shots get in the arms, people are going to want to go out and eat. They're going to want to go out and, you know, have some beverages and socialize with their friends. And we're going to get this thing all started back up again. I'm surprised you went public in the midst of all of this, because theoretically, this is the worst time, quite literally in a century for a payments company that serves restaurants and hotels to go public. No, that's certainly true. And uh, again, you know, in terms of the ball just bouncing well, you know, in the right direction for some people, I mean, you know, we were incredibly fortunate. We were the first company to ring the bell at the stock exchange on site since the pandemic forced its um, its closure. And that was June 5th. I'll certainly uh, remember it forever. And, um, you know, for as much as our customers individually had to suffer through some really tough times, you know, as an organization, as a company, you know, we benefited because we were a share taker, you know, so shift for payments company grew in 2020. And, and that's, you know, despite our concentration in, in uh, hotels and restaurants, because, 
what we essentially do is take out a lot of complexity. You know, we deliver a solution that would otherwise be provided by four or five different vendors. And in doing so, we deliver a lower effective cost of the service while enabling things like, you know, QR codes and contactless and online ordering. And that's a value proposition that, you know, rang true even before the pandemic when we were growing, you know, 55% year over year. Well, it was became especially relevant during the most difficult of times. Um, have you spoken to Bill Gates about the giving pledge? I have not, no. The reason I ask is that, you know, what are you, 37? That's right. You're quite young. You've made a lot of money. And the decision to just give away $100 million, you know, it's not something a lot of people would do. I'm just wondering if you have a view as to an obligation almost to to give back or to help others. Because, you know, obviously Bill Gates, he's leading this giving pledge, which I think from memory is that you, you pledge to give away half of your wealth if you've kind of, you know, mostly billionaires that have just signed up or all of it or whatever. And it's, there's a lot of that going on. There's, but there's other people, you know, who give a lot less. And I'm just wondering what your, what your kind of philosophy is on that. I have to tell you, you're the, you're the first to um, really raise it with me, which I, I, I guess in a way is kind of surprising. Mm. I'll absolutely be on board that train. I absolutely think we have an obligation to leave the world a better place than when we found it. So this is kind of the first step for sure with Inspiration4, where we're going to try and advance an important agenda for, I think, all of society up in space and also try and do an awful lot of good down here on Earth. But to your point, you know, I'm, I'm 37. I, I imagine I may have, you know, a couple more adventures uh, left in me. And, you know, I think that, you know, whatever wealth I've been fortunate enough to accumulate is going to get directed towards as many worthwhile causes as I can think of. The other thing that just occurred to me while talking about all this, I mean, what does your board think? Because your key man insurance policy must be insane. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's uh, I don't even know if it um, <laughs> if it exists at this size anymore. Uh, so my board is like incredibly supportive. You know, I this has been my whole adult life, right? I mean, since I was 16 years old, more than half of my life has been spent growing shift for. And, you know, while I haven't gone to space previously, I, I have um, gone on some of these interesting life adventures and and tried to, you know, make it about a, a good and worthwhile cause like we're doing with Inspiration4. So I, I have to tell you, I don't think they were that surprised. They were really supportive. And they also agreed with me that this is a great opportunity to highlight, you know, a new capability we have at the organization on our Shift4 Shop e-commerce platform, which is which is the platform we're going to use to select our fourth crew member seat, you know, the entrepreneur that will ultimately represent prosperity. It's marketing for you guys as well, obviously. I mean, it's obviously serving a greater cause with St. Jude, but it's also a massive marketing opportunity. Well, for sure. I mean, when I, you know, discussed this with my board in the first place, I said, look, this is a personal thing for me. You know, you can tell me right up front, hey, keep this nice and separate away from Shift 4 and I'll, I'll totally respect that. You know, that said, I mean, this business has been my entire life. It would have been shocking, I think, not to try and find a way, you know, to incorporate this company into it. And, and in the way we're doing it, right, I mean, there, there's... There's so little commercial intent on this. The Shift4 Shop uh, e-commerce platform, it, it doesn't have any subscription fees. There's no sign-up costs. You know, you're just encouraging business owners to do what maybe they wouldn't have done without a little bit of a nudge and say, you know, create a business and tell the world about it. And hey, maybe you have a chance to go to space. And I think that would be a pretty cool thing. And, and there's ideally in, in not too distant future, we're going to elevate a business owner to the stars and who knows what will come from it thereafter. So I, I think it's pretty exciting. I'm not surprised that my board was so supportive. Right. And what do you live these days? 
Pennsylvania. So uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, near our headquarters. In the past, if it was a year ago, pre-pandemic, I'd say, uh, you know, one hotel room after the next, I kind of travel quite a bit as part of my business responsibilities. But uh, I think we've all been, you know, kind of more constrained as late. I read somewhere that you have a place in Montana or something. Uh, I do. So uh, from time to time, I'm able to, uh, you know, escape on a weekend and get in the mountains. So, you know, I don't have too many uh, hobbies outside of work. Flying is a big part of it. And, and so is uh, mountain climbing and other winter activities. So I'll try and get away from time to time in the mountains. And Montana's got quite a few mountains. And is it a factual statement to say that you have a MiG fighter jet that you fly just for sh- for shits and giggles, as the Brits would say? Now, that is a factual statement, but just not any MiG. It's a MiG-29. That's a that's a frontline Russian fighter jet, you know, still in service today. So uh, pretty awesome uh, aircraft. The other thing I want to ask you about, and you mentioned it in passing, you flew around the world? I have. Please explain. <laughs> oh, yeah. So in uh, 2008 and then again in 2009, you know, I undertook a world record flight. So speed around the world. And um, we did it to uh, raise awareness and funds for, an, you know, an incredibly worthwhile charitable organization. And, um, you know, what motivated me to do it is uh, the aviation industry was kind of progressing from, you know, older avionics, what we call like steam gauges into like this kind of modern, almost cloud era where you have um, touch screens and, you know, real time access to weather. Uh, and I thought like, you know, what if you didn't have to do like hours of flight planning from every point A to B, you know, route you intended to fly on? What if you almost just did it like real time and just never stopped? It was essentially like NASCAR, like you, you flew, you landed and got gas and you took off again and you were doing your flight planning and your weather avoidance while you're in the air. It just seemed like a really interesting challenge. Those are the kind of things I seek out in life. But Again, it's got to be over. It's got to be about supporting an organization that's, you know, greater than the mission in itself. And in that case, we benefited a great organization and we'll do the same with Inspiration4. And lastly, where does this bug come from? Is it, I mean, did you grow up in a super entrepreneurial kind of daredevil house or is it just you were the youngest of some older siblings and kind of had to figure out a way to kind of carve out your own niche? Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say I'm a daredevil. I, I do like these kind of interesting challenges in life, but uh yeah, I just always been a aviation aerospace enthusiast. Always loved the idea of going and, and looking at the mountains and you know climbing them because you know as they say they're there. But yeah, not too many of my family follow suit. As much as I try and drag them into the into the mountains or put them in a back of a fighter jet, they're, they're not always signing up for it. But we'll work on it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Jared for taking the time. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen, as you do every week. I had actually lined up a couple other interviews, which we've got done this week. But I just, when the SpaceX announcement was put out, I just thought it was really interesting. So we just kind of jumped at that and we threw it up this week instead. So we have some really interesting, really cool guests coming up in these next few weeks. So do keep an ear out. I think you guys will like them. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane. You can find me in the Times at thetimes.co.uk on Twitter at Danny Fortson. You can email me at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. And of course, give a rating, give a review. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Past Imperfect.
Perfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, ex-Special Forces soldier and best-selling novelist Andy McNabb talks candidly about growing up with his adopted family, his time in juvenile detention, and how he finally found his home in the British Army. You're responsible for yourself, whether you're six-year-old or whether you're 96-year-old, you're responsible for yourself. So suck it all up and just get out there. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. Andy McNabb, in his own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.